It's Friday the 17th of December 2021 and this is episode 45 of Fred's Unrestricted. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Well, today I'm joined, as usual, by Chloe Bloxham. Dan's away this week, uh, but we've got an able replacement uh, in the form of uh, Chris Coughlin, who's been a guest on the podcast before, back in the the midst of the Super League controversy. Uh, Chris, I think it's fair to say that um, you're our resident uh, crisis reporter, in a way, (laughs) because obviously (laughs) we had you... uh, back in April when all that was going down and now we, we're in a position where we don't know what the uh, the future holds for football. Yeah, hi Dave, hi Chloe, thanks for, thanks for having us guys. Um, yeah, it's it's all a bit up in the air, isn't it? Especially when you consider how late the game's getting called off as well, which I, I think is a little bit poor on the fans, if, if I'm honest. Um, I totally understand the reasons for it, but when you look at, say, Burnley versus Watford got called off two hours before when you will have had Watford fans well on their way by the time. Uh, similarly, you'll probably have had Tottenham fans heading off to Leicester um, yesterday as well, uh, although that was a little bit earlier on when it was called off. I, I think that the Premier League has done the right thing in terms of the games that maybe could have been postponed at the weekend that have already postponed. I think just before kickoff yesterday, there were, what, four games called off uh, to add to Manchester United Brighton um, and yeah it, even you know I think Klopp has said himself that you know he, 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 given the choice probably want the game to go on but you know with, with, with the with the positives yeah, or suspected rather positives yesterday Van Dijk, Fabinho and, and, and Jones yeah it, it's all a bit up in the air to, to say the least at the moment isn't it Definitely, and uh, we'll come on to that in a lot more detail in, in the second half of the, of the podcast. But the first half is going to be something more resembling uh, business as usual as we talk about last night's 3-1 win over Newcastle. So let's begin with the three-word match reviews. Chloe, I'll come to you first. Um, I'd like your review and also your assessment of the performance more generally, because obviously it was a uh, maybe a little bit more difficult than we might have envisaged against a team struggling as much as Newcastle. Yeah, so my three word uh, review to start off with is a Trent Rocket because I think it's very hard to summarise a game uh, in the aftermath of what you've seen at the end of that game. It was really hard to then sit there and try and think of anything else but the Thunderbolt. Um, but yeah, overall, I actually thought... There's a lot of people who said we, we didn't play well. I thought we played all right, me. I, I actually, in that first half at half time, I thought, you know, we were 2 1 up. You knew the goals were coming, yet we were a bit sloppy. Um, and we can highlight Thiago in, in a bit of sloppiness. But then again, everyone is, is sound to have their off day as long as the rest of the team pulled through, and they did. And uh, he was much better second half defensively. But um, I, I, I just think at times it was frustrating because the final pass wasn't there. Um, but Liverpool kept recycling the ball. Liverpool kept persistent. And eventually, you know, we get the breakthrough in the first goal, the second goal. And then you have something special in Trent's, like, strike to, to seal all three points. Um, and fair play to Newcastle, who kept themselves in it at 2-1 in the 86th minute. They just took that. 
Um, and, you know, they did sit deep. They made it hard for us. Um, but at the end of the day, we tire, we, we tire teams out because we just, we never relax. We're always, you know, recycling the ball. We're always on top of them. We're always squeezing them. Uh, and we're always making them push us out. Um, and I think if a couple of final balls did go our way in that game, or if we would have just put it in the back of the net a bit more with the chances that we did have, that could have been 4-5-1. Um, and then no one's really talking about the performance, are they? Because you've, you've been clinical enough. Um, but saying that, three goals is enough for me because three goals meant the three points. Definitely. And you've got a point certainly about um, exhausting the opposition. And it's maybe something we don't appreciate enough how difficult it is for a team to to be without the ball for that long. And especially on the rare occasion they do get the ball, you know, a lot of the time. You know, I lost count of the amount of times yesterday the ball gets cleared and, and Matip basically takes a few paces forward uh, to just pick it up and, you know, it restarts again. So, uh, yeah, Chris, we'll come to you now and get your review and your assessment of the of the performance yesterday. My three-word review, it, it was <laughs> it's funny because it was going to be almost word for word what Chloe's gone for, but what, what I'll, I'll switch it up a little bit. And to be honest with you, when I saw Trent's goal yesterday, it reminded me so much of Gerard's goal against Newcastle back from 2007-8. So Ger- Gerard in disguise, I'll go with. Uh, it was it was literally. I know that was at St James's Park and this was Anfield, but it was literally the the same area of the goal, wasn't it? An absolute thunderbolt. Um, it, it it was interesting overall, wasn't it? Because I think Chloe touches on it there brilliantly. We talk about, say, for example, City hitting seven against Leeds. Um, But when you consider the last three games, Wolves, Aston Villa, Newcastle, yes, it's been 1-0, 1-0, 3-1. But the chances that we've had in those games, it could have been far easier. It could have been far... um, more convincing on the scoreline, if you want to call it that way, because the performances were, were all good. They were all dominant for the most part. Um, yesterday in particular, it, it's one of them where we all know John Joe Shelby can strike a ball like that, and given the space and the time, you know, he, he, he picked his spot and finished it well. But after that, you all, in, in the past, I think uh, you know, there might have been a few that kind of panicked uh, a little bit, but because it was so early on, you just knew that we were going to create chances. You knew that goals were or goals were eventually going to come. You just you just felt it. And I think the way Newcastle defend as well, they 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 are incredibly open. I mean, you know, they, what what whether what division they end up in next season that, that that's a that's another topic. But um, you always just felt there was an, there was a vulnerability there. And it was brutally exposed um, by by the lads. Even you know we talk about Thiago's sloppiness. It, it was a big moment from Allison to to save the to save the shot from Sir Maximan because it goes two one. And then all of a sudden, then you you're thinking right, we've got to score two more to um to to win the game. But ultimately, fully fully deserved win. And it would have been nice to have got a few more. But ultimately, um at this stage of the season. All that matters is getting the points and just you know keep keeping track and and keeping pace. Yeah, and it definitely felt more so like that given that we were playing basically 48 hours after 
after Man City, who'd obviously won in such emphatic circumstances, as you alluded to. And I think you both make a good point about um, the quality of the performances and certainly what you say, Chris, about the maybe the closer margins in the last few games. But if you actually look at the expected goals, which is kind of one way you can measure the performance, you know, we tended to really restrict the opposition whilst also creating plenty of chances ourselves. Um, but yeah, maybe just not being particularly clinical. Um, in terms of what I thought of the performance, like, you know, the first half watching it, it was it was almost pure attack versus defence football. Um, to an extent, I'm not really sure. We've, we've seen this season, to be honest, even though we have had a lot of very dominant performances. And when Newcastle did score... I wasn't worried whatsoever. I was actually more worried in the second half when the sloppiness in our performance as a whole, I thought. Um, although Newcastle, to their credit, did defend a bit better in the second half. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't worried because I knew how bad Newcastle's defence was. And I think that was kind of borne out in the rest of the first half when we just cut them open time and again uh, and looked like we were going to win 5-1, five, five, maybe 6-1. To me, that, that's the kind of game that you know, I, I thought it was heading for. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't worried then. And as I say, it was the second half where the sense of dread comes in, especially when you see um, Callum Wilson coming on. Obviously, the main goal-scoring threat that Newcastle have um, only kind of need one one decent chance, maybe. Although St. Saint, Saint Maximin did go off with an injury, which kind of um, did blunt them a little bit, I suppose. Uh, and really, the... The chances that they had, there was the Jacob Murphy shot, uh, which which sort of bent wide from the the right hand corner of the penalty area, and then obviously the uh, the Ryan Fraser moments with a uh, Trent's tackle, which we might come on to when we discuss Trent's performance in a bit, a bit of detail. But yeah, it would have been awful to uh, to drop points, obviously, against a team of of that standard. I think Newcastle aren't really going to be able to compete by the looks of it until until January when they can uh, bring in players and essentially cherry the team. Uh, so to avoid that, to avoid that yesterday was uh, was really important. In terms of my three-hour view, quickly, I went with uh, a tribute to Curry because um, I enjoyed the uh, the Big basketball man. football crossover that we've seen uh, the past couple of days with that. And uh, yeah, I think it, it's kind of apt because of you know Steph Curry has a habit of um, somehow managing to uh, convert these threes from almost like half course and stuff. And maybe that's kind of the football equivalent because it, it was only really when I watched on Match of the Day, even though I was actually there last night, it was only on Match of the Day that I actually appreciated how far out he was um, when he when he actually, you know, took on the shot. So, yeah, quite fitting in a way. Have you seen, have you seen the video of um, the all angles? Um, Not it, yet, no. It, it's, on, it's on YouTube. If you, watch, if you watch the all angles, it shows one, it focuses on Trent. And then as he runs away, it shows a close-up of Jacob Murphy with his hands on his hips. And to paraphrase it, he just goes, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just an air of resignation, I think. Yeah. And Thiago's reaction as well, obviously, I think, was doing the rounds on Twitter as well. When his knees hit. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, he inspired a, you know, a similar kind of sense of awe with, it, with his goal against Paul, so maybe. But... Um, but yeah, and obviously Trent doing the uh, the signature Curry uh, celebration as well after he scores. So yeah, quite a quite a neat one there. But um, just before we move on to Trent um, in a bit more detail, because obviously you know he is dominating the conversation probably rightfully after last night. Um, 
just quickly want to gauge the thoughts of you two on our equaliser and where the play should have been stopped in my book. I think we were a little bit uh, fortunate with that one, to be honest. Uh, Chloe, what do you think? Absolutely not. Why the hell am I kicking a ball out when it's in the penalty box? What, what, that, that to me goes against every natural instinct you have as a footballer. And I'd absolutely fume if we do it because we've done it plenty of times where we've not been ruthless enough. We not There are so many teams uh, in this league that have a bit of shit shithousery about them. And I absolutely love that. And Liverpool need more of it because at times we are too nice. And it's lucky that we're a really good good football team because in the end it doesn't matter. But in that instant, I'm not bothered if a player's gone down in the area. I'm not bothered what's up with them. If that ball is landing at the feet of a Liverpool player in the box, why the hell am I kicking it out? It's it never. I was screaming in the ground, play on, play on, play on. And there was times in the second half where Alan St. Maximum goes down. They continue to play on. We've we've had a shot at target. We've we've saved it or whatever, and we're coming the other way in the fume of the fact that we haven't kicked the ball out again. You've just carried on. This player, if he was so dazed, why is the protocol not made him be subbed? Because that, if he's dazed in any way, shape or form, he has to go off by the letter of the law of the game, because it is seriously dangerous for a player to carry on. And I'm not having that he was dazed for five minutes, because if he was dazed for five minutes and running around, he'd have passed out on the pitch somewhere. Because that's just, if you're seriously in, in that state, you shouldn't be able to play on. You you don't know where the ball is. You probably don't know where your body is. Your body movement's all over the place. So if he was seriously injured, I don't care how he's not being substituted and whether that's a problem with them not following the protocols or whether it's them making it up, I'm not sure. But there's absolutely no way that a ball is landing to any player in the entire world of football in the box at 1-0 down at home and you're kicking it out because not just have you missed a valuable chance, you're also going to have the entire crowd absolutely fuming at you and you do not want that at Anfield. Giving a standard ovation to that. Yeah. Well, do you know what? Do you know what? I t- I completely agree um, and it's something I've said before about the about the shit hours really point certainly. I think it's maybe in too short a supply in our squad. Um, I think when I say that we were a bit fortunate there, I'm not saying that we should have kicked the ball out. That's not our responsibility. I'm just surprised that Mike Dean didn't stop the game um, because it looked like it was a you know potential head injury there. So what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I get that point because Eddie Howe focused on it immensely in his, uh, in his post-match presser, which you'd expect him to. But a few things kind of came to my mind about it. What what was it Shank said all those years ago? Put the ball in the back of the net and ask questions later on. And I think that's definitely the right attitude to take in a situation like that. I also, you compare it a month or so ago to Emil Smith-Rowe at Old Trafford. Um, has a shot from long range. De Gea's in a ball on the floor. Ball goes in the back of the net. Referee hadn't blown his whistle. Yes, they took a few minutes to make a decision, but ultimately it was the right decision because the referee hadn't decided to stop the play. And... I, I totally, totally agree with what Chloe's talking about in that the amount of times, say if a player is down and the referee doesn't stop the game, I don't want the ball to get kicked out. And I've, the amount of times I think I've seen, um, 
I've seen Joel Matip do it once or twice, uh, and that yeah, he's a he's a lovely guy, Joel. Of course he is, but I've seen him kick it out once or twice, and I'm like, don't do it, play on, because I just think you could talk about sportsmanship. Of course you could, but ultimately it's down to the referee to stop it. And again, when I heard Isaac Hayden was dazed, that's up to Eddie Howe to then go right. I've got to take you off, not stay out there until your head gets better. So that that was that was a bizarre one as well. Um, I just totally think that lots of teams again with this scenario being one nil down. I think it was down to the ref to stop the play. If anything, you know, he was down for a couple of seconds, so you could say there was surprise at Mike Dean not blowing the whistle for it. But I refuse to apportion any blame to. Uh, to Trent, for passing it to Mane, for Mane for crossing in, and Jota for finishing off. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think as much as you might talk about the morality of the situation and those kind of things, you've also got to take your chances. And when you're 1-0 down, yes, we were talking about Newcastle defending earlier on, but you don't know how frequently these chances are going to come. And it was a big moment. Of course it was. It was the equaliser. But for me, any team that does that, I would never complain with because again you could say oh but if the, if the foot was if it, it was on the other foot but I've always said if a team if, if the referee doesn't stop play for an injury I'd never hold it against a team any team even if it was against Liverpool for playing on and I just think we saw an opportunity and we took it yeah it comes down to the referee I think we can all agree that Liverpool um absolutely uh were in that were within their rights to uh, to play on as they did and whilst how they call it the decisive moment in the game, I suspect that, you know, had had play been sat there and we hadn't got a goal out of it, it, it looked pretty much from the off that it was only a matter of time before Liverpool got a goal. So whether it really made all that much difference, uh, who knows. But let's move away from that and on to Trent's performance. I'll just uh, throw some numbers in before we sort of delve into it. So... He had 113 touches, which was the second most on the pitch behind Henderson. Obviously scored three chances created, which was the most in the match. Six accurate long passes. Only Dubravka had more, and obviously he's taken goal kicks uh, and three interceptions as well from Trent. So, Chloe, was he your man of the match yesterday? Yeah, I think it's it's hard to not give him a, um, and the likes of Canate, Matip and those can feel a bit hard done by, but I mean, my Christ scored, scored a screamer uh, at the end to seal all three points. Um, and, and then you might be in contention even more. I think overall, it's just passing was absolutely ridiculous. And I say it every single time, but even the switch from fullback to fullback, the the level of which the technique is outrageous. And I'm sorry, but I am still struck by how good that ball is to Manny for our first goal. I think that's yeah. an unbelievable pass. Um and I think if uh, there's there's not many players in that situation, maybe Tiago in this squad that had hundred percent already know the picture before it and do it instantly like Trent. And I don't think there's many people like that. Um and every time he's out of this team you can see how little chances we create compared to when he is. Um, he is one of the most important parts of this team. He offers so much. His attacking ability, also you saw his defensive ability, made one of the best tackles uh, probably you're going to see in this season. Um, saves us a bit there. And then 
you know, he goes down the other end and, and scores. Uh, I, I don't know a right back with a technique like that with a ball. I really like, you know, you've got your Roberto Carlos years ago who had a wonder of a left foot. But Trent Alexander Arnold, the technique he has in that right foot is ridiculous. Um his 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 crossing is pretty much always pinpoint. Um and if it's not pinpoint, it's going in an area where our strikers should be and our attackers should be. Um, his, his passing range is, is ridiculous. I've seen plenty of times him do a ball on the half volley and you just the crowd is just in shock at how good things are. Um and it's it's something to say when, you know, your right back is one of your most vital parts of the team because, you know, I think he has nine goal involvements in, in every like, he has a, a goal or something in every well a goal contribution in every other game. And that is a right-back statistic. You've got Kevin De Bruyne in this league, who, fair enough, might be injured here and there. But he's one of the best players ever in the Premier League for me, Kevin De Bruyne. And a Trent Alexander-Arnold, a young kid at right-back, is making these statistic numbers. Why is no one more shocked? Why is no one more like, oh my God, he's outrageous? Because if that was an attack on midfielder, if that was Mason Mount doing that, Everyone would be up in the air. Oh my God, an English centre attack mid. But because he's so good, people want to tear you down, and that's sadly what happens to him. He is. He's kind of in a situation where he's that good that people try and find flaws with him. Um, and as a Liverpool fan, I'm just absolutely like I'm so made up. He plays for us. I'm so made up. He's a scouser and he loves the badge. Um, and his his technical ability throughout the entire game is ridiculous. His work rate. I mean, God, think how much he has to put in a get into a game to go up and down that touchline every single game. Um, it, it's ridiculous the fitness in in the entire team, but especially those fullbacks. Um, so yeah, he's he, he was stunning again. But once he's he's he puts in a performance at reckon seven, eight out of ten, pretty much nearly every game, and that's consistency. Sometimes he can get laxy laxy at the back, but. You'd expect that with a young player and you expect that with someone who's up the pitch as much as anyone else. Um, so, yeah, brilliant by him. Um, and, yeah, he, he did deserve man of the match after that strike. Because he's matched his goals and assists for last season already. <laughs> it's, 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 it's mad, isn't it? And do you know what? That kind of leads into what I was, I was going to say, really, in that I saw James Pierce allude to this on Twitter you know, it wasn't all that long ago, maybe uh, sort of March of, of this year that we were talking about um, Trent's having sort of fallen out of form, really. And obviously, there was the whole England discussion going on and stuff. And that is a really, really distant memory now with, with how well he's played this season. And I think you're right, Chloe, to point out that he isn't. It's almost strange to say because he is one of the most high profile players in the Premier League now, but he maybe isn't just getting the, the recognition he deserves for the the levels he's consistently producing and and not only that how he's evolving his uh his position as well and, and his role and the expectations of that you know set look, looking like he's going to be one of the most significant players of, of his generation in that respect um and also i mean to come back to the tackle i think that was an absolutely huge moment obviously i don't think it was too long after that um that we managed to, to seal the three points um it was certainly in that sort of period of the game I alluded to earlier with the the sort of sense of dread, and apparently, obviously, I wasn't able to watch the coverage yesterday. Apparently, the, the pundits on BC Sport were 
were fuming that uh, Newcastle didn't get a penalty for that, which I think is just ridiculous because, you know, they have the, the luxury of seeing so many replays. And <laughs> as far as I can see, he's, he's cleanly getting the ball. It's, um, it's, it's ridiculous. Challenge. I mean, did, did you see the um, the Sufal one on, on Lacazette? Yeah. That that first of all, it was similar to that, but first of all, neither were penalties. Nope. <laughs> the the, the Sufal nope. one blows my mind every single time I see the it. The thing the thing that does my head in though is that that piece of Walton, whatever he says, just think the absolute opposite. I don't know how he's <laughs> next to me. It really angers me every time he pops up on my screen on BT Sport because. Like he just he says the wrong thing every time, and he was like, "Yeah, no, that's not a penalty." And then it was given a penalty, and then after the game, where the the players in the studio were basically convincing him it was a penalty, he turned around and was like, "Oh yeah, that is a penalty." I was like, "You've just changed your mind within yeah. a space of uh, you know forty five minutes because other people around should have said something, and you've gone and followed the curve. Like it's not a penalty." Just instead of sitting there and just joining in and saying, oh, yeah, it was, and protecting your own, just out it and say, he's, he's made quite a terrible decision there. That should, have, that should have gone to a monitor. And if he still gives it after going to the monitor, OK, you can deal with it a bit more. But like the fact that it's not even being reviewed to say you might have got that one wrong or you might need to have a second look is, is outrageous. Yeah, you know, we talk about football being a contact sport. Like there's going to be natures of follow throughs, aren't there? And you it, can't it, escape it. Yeah, you, you can't you can't escape it. And because if if you if you make a challenge that you are going to get the ball at times, you are also going to follow through. But that doesn't mean it's a penalty. If you wipe the man out and sound, it's a penalty. But no, no, it's uh, yeah, a bit a bit ridiculous to be honest. I really, you know, I think that the segments with the referee can be really good. You know, in terms of that kind of oversight in a way because we don't really see that too much i think the problem with it is in most cases there's almost like uh i don't know if cronyism is the right word but it's like the goalkeepers union equivalent for referees and they will always defend them um partly because they know how difficult the job is to be fair but it just devalues the kind of segments really when you just think oh well they're just going to find a way to justify what the referee did and i was saying to my uh my mate at the weekend actually I think if another ref uh, ran out with, <laughs> ran away with Peter Walton's wife, Peter Walton would probably say the referee was within his rights. <laughs> to be honest, like he will literally just agree with whatever the referee does. But um, moving it away from Peter Walton's marital affairs and on onto Trent again, um, Chloe was raving about his his technique there, Chris, and that leads into another question I wanted to ask. You know. You sort of watching, you know, the half volleyed moments that that Chloe talks about, and obviously the goal yesterday, and you just think to yourself, you know, how many players really in this kind of generation, or really in the, maybe the twenty first century, are there who can claim to have a a better technique than than Trent has? Because it, it really is just a special gift that he's got. Absolutely, there's genuinely very few that can claim to have his ability. Um, it's it's quite funny. I didn't know what year we were living in when I saw the uh, the FIFA Pro nominations. I'm not entirely sure why Danny Alves is on there at the right old age of 38. But um, you know, if, if we're talking about comparisons, I think people are. They've done it for a few years, haven't they? Talked about uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Danny Alves in the same bracket. Um, I think when when Chloe mentioned about 
you know, right backs with that similar kind of ability. Just just because I remember his goal at Brighton last year, I think I think there will be a battle between Reese James and Trent for England, just depending on what you know, the maybe England boss wants. And I, I, I think Reese James is a very very good player. But what Alexander Arnold offers is just incredible because I, I watched his interview with uh, with ITV. I think it was the last international break, and he talked about playing in midfield against uh, Andorra. And it's a funny one because you know we all say, oh, can can he play there and th- those kind of things. But he admitted to himself, or he admitted in the interview. When he plays at right back, he ends up in midfield anyway, such is the nature of his game when he drifts inside, looks for passes. And I wouldn't go as far as to say he was uncomfortable in the situation, but it was it was strange for him to already be in midfield as opposed to drifting into midfield. And you know, why fix something that isn't broken? <laughs> he is an he's just incredible when he plays at right back. The delivery you can't ask. You, you really can't ask for better. Um, Chloe again said it about De Bruyne. Caras called him De Bruyne a right back, and that's one of the highest compliments that you can pay him. And he is genuinely a generational talent. And I think a lot of people can maybe get a, get thrown get you know, um, get thrown away in those kind of things or carried away rather um, with with those kind of statements. But he is. Genuinely incredible. He's 23 years old and he's nearly made 200 appearances for Liverpool. <laughs> wow. What what more what more can you say? He you know there, there'll be a point in the future when he's Liverpool captain. I'm very certain about that. And he deserves to be held at the highest regard possible in the game. He really really does. And for people that you know maybe criticise his defensive ability. Um, I remember Rio Ferdinand on that podcast. People were talking. I think people were like, with all due respect to Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I think some people on the podcast were trying to compare the two. There is no comparison. And Rio made it himself. Alexander Arnold is in a league of his own. He really is. And with this midfield thing, you know, two things on it. First of all, it's not negatively affecting the team to have him at, at right back. No. So there's no issue there in terms of. Um, is there a lack of defensive cover or anything like that, first of all? Second of all, I don't think there's any way you can extract more because you, you see the numbers he's putting up there. Usually uh, top sort of three uh, assists-wise in the Premier League, so you're not really going to be able to get much more out of it. So I think really it's a bit of a non-discussion. Um, and, you know, you talk about him ending up uh, playing midfield anyway, and actually saw a tweet yesterday um, really good point. I think it was from Premier League panel talking about how Trent will take, obviously, you know, a lot of the time he will be sort of near that right touchline, but then you'll see him playing as a, almost as a number six in the position or or a number eight, just yeah. wherever he thinks he can best influence the game. And I think there was, um, I'm not sure on the exact moment of the game, but I think there was a pass yesterday he played from um, a pretty central area, sort of whipped around the back of the defence. Um, that was a brilliant ball. So, um, yeah, he's just shows he, he can create from all sorts of areas. It doesn't necessarily have to be out wide. Um, but I do think we should move on because we're already um, <laughs> past, past the, uh, the half-hour mark here. And we were going to discuss um, Ibrahim Makanate, uh, who had another really good game. But we spoke about him in decent depth last week after the Milan game where he was also a man of the match Monster. contender. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I think there's maybe, you know, we we don't really know what happens schedule-wise from here, and we'll come on to that shortly. Uh, but there's, you know, the possibility now that we see a spell with a partnership with, with Massive. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that does against uh, maybe more difficult opponents or opponents who ask more questions of us uh, in an attacking sense than Newcastle did. But like I say, uh, we will move on to to something else. And let's just briefly discuss uh, Thiago as maybe more of a point of concern from yesterday. Uh, we won't be able to dwell on this for too long. I think you, I, I thought personally that he had an all right game um, after, after a shaky start. But Chloe, he is occasionally um quite sloppy in possession and it's not a you know yesterday wasn't an isolated incident um obviously there was the the clearance the poor clearance into shelby's goal and then the the loose pass which leads to st maximin's chance does this does this worry you do you think this is something that could cost liverpool at some point no not really because i think one player can have uh, not he, he wasn't poor. Um, I, I don't think it's a worry or a concern. I just think at times he maybe needs to be a bit more aware and switched on. Um, because for for John Joe Shelby's goal, it's like he's got absolutely no awareness of anyone around him. Um, because the entire ground screaming time to yeah, and surely someone's got to be there on his shoulder saying time. You know, you 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 can take touch here. Um, I don't think it's a worry because um, Alisson saves him, uh, but that is what a goalkeeper should do. That is what your goalkeeper is there to do. And Alisson is one of the best in the world. So I always put faith in Alisson um, and he comes up clutch and he always does. Um, and a lot of games probably you, you don't realise how good he is because we can win 4-0 or whatever. But Alisson had made two, three really, really world-class saves in that game. Um, so it, it's not... a cause for concern for me it's just okay let's iron it out understand that some players at times will have an off game or off 35 40 minutes um but as long as the team drag you out of it and that's the best thing about football if you're having individually not the greatest game there's other players in that dressing room other players on that pitch you can drag you out of a hole um and i think even when playing, I wasn't concerned. Um, I wouldn't have liked to concede again. But even before John Joe Shelby scored, I felt a Liverpool goal was coming um, because we'd had several chances. I think Jota has one saved at the near post. Obviously, Mane has a, a shot that it's the post that's offside. Um, but we had chances in and around the box. Um, and yet, in-game, as it was happening, I was screaming at Thiago to wake up. But looking back at it... Um, you know, it's just, it, it's one of those players can have an off performance and that's absolutely fine. It just makes sure that, you know, the rest of the team drag you through it and you work harder in the second half. Um, and I think he was a bit better in the second half. There were still moments of uh, him being a bit too slow on the ball and making the wrong pass, but generally he, he was decent. Um, so no need for concern, just maybe a chat and, and just say to him, Okay, so like next time, just once we've. I also think it was the fact that we'd scored, and obviously the crowd's like, go again, go again. So maybe he's tried to pick a pass that he thinks is on because he's been rushed to do it because he wants us on the front foot again. When in actual fact, it should be just calm it down, recycle it, eventually we'll get there. 
Um, but yeah, not a cause for concern. I would have liked them to not give me a heart attack with Alan St. Maximum, <laughs> but these things happen. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a good point that you make in terms of maybe uh, rushing things a little bit, um, given the, the atmosphere in, in the ground. Like when you kind of equalise in, in that scenario, I think everyone's kind of baying for blood a little bit. It's like, you know, let's put them to the sword kind of thing. Um, and you know, I am a, I'm definitely a fan of Thiago. You know, I thought um, a couple of weeks ago against Wolves, he was uh, the outstanding player on the pitch. Even though the, I think the man of the match poll Liverpool put out after the game was just Dean Mokhanegi four times. So maybe um, that was overshadowed slightly. But uh, yeah, Chris, just quickly, do you think maybe just a case of being a little bit too casual in possession? Possibly, and I think you also saw it was it was the impact of. Tiago, sorry, um, Fabinho being out as well, just because Fabinho is one of the first names on the team sheet. There's quite a lot of first names on the team sheet, but nevertheless, um, Tiago was a bit deeper than he would normally be because he'd, be, he'd only be a bit further forward with Fabinho playing. And I think there is there is nobody like Fabinho, and I think it, it, Tiago gets asked to do a few a few different things. Um, and it maybe disrupted the rhythm that we've seen from him because we don't have a natural defensive midfielder who can come in when Fabinho isn't playing. And that's maybe something to to look at going forward. But I, I think Thiago, he's, he's certainly developed. Last season, he did have his problems, whether it was injury or injury to others, of course, because the record with him and Fabinho in midfield together, it's it's almost perfect. So that's something I think is important to bear in mind. Uh, but yeah, every player, there isn't a player in world football that hasn't given away a poor pass. And ultimately, it didn't cost a goal. And he's someone that won't get phased by it. Um, I know where uh, where my mum was sitting in the ground last night, because um, we don't we don't sit together. She um, she said there was someone in front of her that was. Um, slagging off Thiago basically saying like oh I don't rate him I don't rate him and then he was childish enough to not give him a standing ovation when he walked off uh, and I said if you can't rate a man who got a cha- who got a man of the match in the Champions League final less than two years ago not sure football's for you so <laughs> Do you know what yeah that's one of the things that struck me at the games that I've been at this season it's always there's always someone around you who's moaning at Thiago. Um, yeah. I think he's just the kind of player that maybe um, our fans aren't really aren't really used to and maybe don't fully appreciate uh, what he's about, some of them. Um, but let's talk about the the title race. Let's kind of zoom out a little bit. Obviously, Liverpool and City uh, both winning this week. And Chelsea dropping points to an Everton side who are without. And I've got the full list here. In fact, this might not even be the full list. But no Calvert-Lewin. No Richarlison, no Yerry Mina, no Alan, no Coleman, no Townsend, no Gray, no Tom Davis, and bottom of the Premier League form table. And when you put that in the context of what's happened recently with Chelsea dropping points against United, uh, West Ham, obviously they lost that game, drew with Zenit with a pretty strong team in the Champions League, barely beat Leeds, I think with some contentious penalty decisions. It's not looking great for them at the moment. But having said that, they are still only three points behind, so they haven't been cut adrift quite yet, despite this run of form, which I think has seen them now drop nine points in their last seven Prem matches. So, Chloe, I'll come to you. 
I think recently it's looked like the table was going to split off and there'd be these three teams head and shoulders with everyone else. But how convinced are you that it is going to be three or could it actually be the case that Liverpool and City build a little bit of a gap to Chelsea? I think obviously it depends on fitness uh, and injuries. But what I would say is watching Chelsea throughout the beginning of the season, there was many of performances there where I thought to myself, they've got away with one. Brentford, for example, Brentford should have got sutton out that game uh, yeah. and they come away with nothing. And defensively, Mendy had saved them in goal, but you know they'd gotten away with it with a couple of a couple of them. Even even at Anfield, they should not have came out with a with anything there, um, because they played it with ten men for forty five minutes, and Liverpool should have been better uh, in that second half. Um, but you know, saying that you look at the players that Chelsea have got, and they can win you games, um, and they are a high caliber team. They'll be up there. They'll be there or thereabouts. But I don't think they're on the same Liverpool, uh, the same level as Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, we've been at the top now for three, four seasons battling out with City. You knew we were getting there, uh, and eventually we're at the top with with City, and we're, we're going toe to toe with them. You can't just in one season all of a sudden make an unbelievable jump and now get up to their levels. You can't. This is consistency that's been built for three seasons here, um, and it's the fact that. City have made us better and we've made City better by going at each other. I don't think Chelsea can just jump into that occasion and, and, and try and live up with us. Um, they've done so, so far. And, and, you know, I'm saying all this, if they beat us at Stamford Bridge, there's your three points back uh, instantly. Um, and that's on the 2nd of, of January, I think. So, um, you know, they're still a very good side. They're still better than anyone that's below them there's still you know there's there's quite a gap between fourth and obviously third I just think consistency run a form in the long term of the entire season City and Liverpool should just have something more they have an extra gear maybe that they should go into because you watch Liverpool and City this season and half the time they don't even get out of second gear and they, they just glide past people you look at Chelsea and they've got to put the lines, the bodies on the line uh, to, to get over the line, basically, to get the three points. Um, and that's what they're very good at doing, to be fair to them. Defensively, they've been good, but it's starting to show frailty. And the reason it's starting to show frailty is because they had some lucky... Um, oh, well, they got away with some, basically. Uh, and and now, when they haven't, you're actually turning around and you're looking at it and you're saying, oh, we should probably do better defensively here. Um, but yeah, they, they've got world class, you know, they've got money to spend. That's what I will say. So in January, who knows what they're going to do? But they've they've got enough squad depth. They've probably got, you know, you talk about squad depth with Liverpool. They're probably up there with City in terms of squad depth um, and, and the ability to rotate and still have an unbelievable starting 11. Um, but I just think to challenge for the title, you can't just have this one season where you miraculously make a jump that big to get on City and Liverpool's level. I think over time they might drop off because you. Um, I, I just think that City and Liverpool have been consistent for three years and you have to have a level of experience and a level of already fighting against the top team um, to push you and to be at that level. I think City and Liverpool are both on uh, decent 
winning streaks at the moment. Uh, Liverpool, I think, have won every game since the international bit, which might be about eight now. City's streak could be even longer, potentially. And I don't think you're alone in thinking that the, the slump that we're seeing at the moment has been coming. And in terms of the point about squad depth, you know, I think it was Lukaku, Hudson, Adoy, Chilwell, Werner, Havertz, and Kovacic um, all missing yesterday because of because of COVID. But you know, it's like you say with Chelsea, their depth is so good that you almost never want that to you know be an excuse for them. You know, you look at how expensively assembled that squad is and the options that they do still have, even when you take out all those players. You know, they should certainly be able to beat an Everton side that. I mean, that was probably a championship standard Everton team yesterday. Uh, to be honest, and I think what's telling is there were there were chance yesterday of um, you going down with down with the Blues uh, to the Newcastle players, and that's because Everton have been in probably the worst form of of anyone in the Premier League. Um, so, Chris, what what do you make of this run of form for for Tuchel and Chelsea? It seems like the the biggest challenge he's had to face since he took over. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I'm actually just looking uh, at, at some stats because in my head, I had it that Chelsea's poor run of form has coincided with Angolo Kante being injured, which to an extent it has. But I didn't realise how little he's played this season, to be honest with you. I didn't realise how just how injured he had been. And maybe he was on the bench yesterday. Maybe that's catching up with a few of them. Because Ungolo Kante, in a similar way to Fabinho, he does the work of two or three players. When you don't have that and you've got others that have to then do the work, it can drain you. It can impact on you, absolutely. Um, I think it's very interesting looking at them overall because, you know, you take you say about squad depth, even yesterday they could bring Spanish international midfielder off the bench. You know, I, admittedly, Saul has not made any sort of impact at Stamford Bridge, but he's hardly played. We know he's a good player. It's um, it's very interesting because the one thing that we always kind of took almost took for granted with Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel was defensive solidarity. And there wasn't that yesterday because even before, and Jordan Pickford had to have a very good game yesterday, and he did have a very good game. But Everton also had their opportunities um, there was a there was a pass. There was, this was a nil-nil where Alex Iwobi just has to play Ellis Sims through and he, he doesn't do it. And that could have been an opportunity for 1-0 Everton. Um, and then you look at the goal that Jared Branthwaite scores. It's a ball in from Anthony Gordon, just a ball into the box, finished at the far post by, uh, by Branthwaite. And I'm just sensing a bit of vulnerability from Chelsea at the moment. It's, uh, it's a bit strange because when you consider... As Chloe said, the Brentford game, Edward Mendy was absolutely brilliant. And you look at the West Ham game where he was absolutely awful. <laughs> and it, it's interesting because I, I think I think he's a good keeper, Mendy, absolutely. But yeah, the defence isn't looking as strong as it has done for Chelsea recently. And when you consider, I, I think under Tuchel, it's fair to say, apart from maybe the 7-0 against Norwich, Chelsea aren't you know, swashbuckling, gung-ho, goal-scoring kind of team. And if teams can figure out a way to score against them, that then puts Chelsea under pressure to think, right, we've got to get at least two in a game. So that could be very interesting in terms of uh, Chelsea going forward if, if they are to stay in the title race. 
you you bang on about um the defensive solidity you know there's it's maybe problematic to use clean sheets as the only measure of how well a team's defending because you can't be mm-hmm. a bit unlucky maybe yeah. only get punished for giving up one chance but i think they haven't kept one in the premier league or have only managed one uh since the start of november which given the standards that they were setting previously does indicate that um they are a lot more open now and it struck me yesterday actually reading the the comments on from Chelsea fans and a lot of them do seem to be really feeling really pessimistic at the moment about where their season's headed although obviously there's an element in there of I think you know football fan bases can be quite quite fickle and um as I, as I said before like perhaps this is a spell where they just need to stay they probably can't afford to fall any further back than, than three points um you could argue, I know there's a long way to go, but you wouldn't want to be more than um sort of more than a game out, if you like. Uh but if they can if this if yesterday was the lowest it got, then maybe that's okay because there could be bumps in the road ahead for Liverpool and City, who knows? But I think what we can say is if there was a break in the season now, it's maybe something that Thomas Tuchel would welcome. And that brings us on to the last bit of the podcast where normally we talk about the game ahead and as it stands at um well the time at the moment is 10 23 on on friday morning as it stands the game against spurs is due to go ahead i'm pretty sure um but who knows what's going to happen like by the time this comes out or later today um it could be it could be gone the whole schedule for the weekend could be gone and yeah it's just the situation at the moment I think up in the air was the phrase Chris Hughes at starts the podcast and that uh, pretty much uh, sums it up. And the Premier League put out a statement on Thursday saying that uh, they're intending to push on with the games that can go ahead. Uh, but it's, you know, the the echoes of, of March 2020 are, are quite hard to ignore. So I guess the, the starting point here is, and, you know, we're not going to have all the answers. And my intention is to make this kind of not to overly script this section, just to let us kind of air our, our thoughts and feelings about the situation. Uh, I think the place to start, and we'll come to you first, Chloe, is what do you think the the Premier League should do, you know, at the moment to try and combat this this situation, which doesn't look to be sustainable? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's coming to a point now where if you only haven't, you know, so five games are already postponed for this weekend. There's only ten games in total at play anyway. I think um, many. I think even Jurgen Klopp said for this weekend you probably give it a miss. Just you know break the circuit. Um, and if it needs to be done, then I'm absolutely all for it because the thing is, is you can't, especially from a Liverpool point of view, you can't go and try and attack a, a, a title. Uh, and go for it if you're missing five of your best players or three, four, five, you know, however many players you've got, even if you have got 13 players, if they're not your first team squad and if they're not at the level that can take you to a title challenge, then it's very, very hard to sit there and, and take the pill of you also then potentially coming up against, so you say Spurs, oh, we've all recovered from COVID, but we've now started getting it. It's going to be their full-strength team against us. You've got missing players all over the place. 
and that is just that that's not good enough that's not the the level of football they want um from the premier league it's not what the the tv rights want um and it's also not what anyone wants when you're in a title race because i think this might be one of the most interesting title races for several seasons now you've got three three teams up there at the moment um and you've got two are arguably the best sides in in premier league history with with liverpool and city so i think if it's if it's needed for safety, I'm I'm absolutely okay with them breaking it. Um, I'm a bit concerned also with what happens with the government because you know is when they put that behind closed doors. And if it's the right thing, if it's the most safe thing to do, and they have to do it, then I'll sit there and I'll say okay. But what I will ask them to do is do not play football behind closed doors. Just put the season on hold. I don't care how long it takes. You know, we, we played until June or something when we won the league. I don't care how long it takes outside of the season. Just put it on pause because football is only made when fans are in that stadium. If if fans aren't in that stadium, it pretty much is the void of emotion. And um, when you're in lockdown, per se, uh, for example, when Liverpool were in that bad run of form, you know, you thought football was your only escape, but it ended up being an absolute like a slog it it ended up being painful to watch and you were already in a bad mood you're already down everyone was already not dealing very well with mental health and then you had to go and watch your team with players all over the place and then they lost and it was like you had no escape from it but because you were a football fan because you loved this team you had to watch it you had to even though you knew oh it's just happening again you had to watch it and you had to put yourself through it so if it has to be you know, rescheduled, if the games have to be stopped, if fans can't be in stadiums, which will, you know, be really sad, but if it's needed, then fine. Um, They just need to to pause the season because you're, you're potentially risking a massive, massive title race. And you're also basically saying to teams, you know, you've got seven men out, just deal with it. And a lot of people just told Liverpool to get on with it last season when we had injuries all over the place. And now I think it's a bit of karma because people are sat there like, you know, Everton, Chelsea, you've got hardly any players. Chelsea was fuming at the fact that they had several players with COVID and still had to play. And they can fume at the, that, that they drew because they didn't have the players that they wanted on the pitch or whatever. Um, but I think... There needs to be a significant amount of players, but it's also what players are out. You know, if if you've got a youth academy star that usually sits on the bench, but like Tyler Morton, if Tyler Morton was out, then I don't think anyone's saying stop the game. But if it's obviously your Fabinho, your Henderson, and then your Milner or something, and you've basically got no other spare midfielders for a substitution, then uh, you've got the problem. Um, so yeah, I just think, I, I don't like speaking too much about it because there's always going to be opinions on it in, in the sense of I'll say one thing and someone can completely think a different thing. Uh, but what I will say is, is that, you know, I can understand the caution, especially so close to Christmas for a lot of people. And I spoke to a lot of people in the ground and they were quite concerned because you don't want to get COVID now and miss Christmas, considering everything that's going on with COVID. You don't know what's going to happen after Christmas. Um, you don't know what this government's going to do. No one has a clue about anything. It, half of the people don't even understand the rules <laughs> and, and if the rules are being enforced, especially at football grounds. So it's very much just the sense of let's see how it goes. If it's stopped, 
stop it completely. Don't don't have it behind closed doors. There's a lot of things to, to pick up on there, and I'll, I'll let you sort of weigh in in a, in a second, Chris. I think the first thing is the, you know, what people on the ground were saying to you yesterday. And I'll admit personally, I've found the past um, week or so, maybe, maybe a little bit longer. I'm not really sure how long the, uh, sort of how long it's been since Omicron took hold of, of the footy, but the, the anxiety that it induces is just, is just mad because you've got games every few hours. It feels like another game's going. Um, and then you're wondering, is the season going to be stopped or where still is it going to be put behind closed doors? And, you know, it is only, on one hand, it is only football, but then on the other, this is the thing that people structure their weeks around. Like it means a a, a lot. So I don't think it's, it's unreasonable for that to be causing so much anxiety. And, you know, it certainly has for me, like I say, and I completely agree with with what you say, Chloe, uh, in terms of, I would much rather no football at all than football behind closed doors, um, even if that's for the period of two or three weeks, because I would absolutely dread watching games behind closed doors. Now that we've had, obviously we went from fans to no fans, but then to get fans back and have that kind of direct comparison, you know, makes you realise just how much of a pale imitation it was of of the football that we love. Um, So I'd certainly be willing to wait. I don't think they will wait um to be honest and that's because of the the demands of the schedule which maybe i'll uh bring up uh that in a minute but uh yeah certainly i think having a behind closed doors would be absolutely dreadful it doesn't really it doesn't really bear thinking about uh to be honest and uh hopefully there's a uh a, a cleaner break than that but chris it does i suppose the behind closed doors thing does kind of lead into the discussion about sporting integrity here. Um, because, you know, if you have a spell in the season where, you know, say there could be teams who miss, sometimes you get back-to-back home games, don't you? So there could be a team that's missing two home games more than, than other teams are. Um, if there is a spell where it goes behind closed doors. And generally, sporting integrity is at risk here. You know, we're, play, we're supposed to be playing Tottenham this weekend. They, I think, have had four games postponed. Now, at what point do we say that this is, you know, untenable and we we have to stop the season because they're almost going to be in a totally different phase of their season, uh, the way it's going, um, if the postponements continue with them. And also there's obviously the factor of the absentees as well um, and just the almost the look of the draw in a way with who's going to get COVID and, and who isn't because you can obviously be very unlucky and get it. Um, and that's going to, and it could be, academy players it could be absolutely crucial members of the first team so do you think there is a way in terms of sports and integrity like i say um that it can go on first thing i just want to touch on there dave just something you said about what other people say about um it's only football or it's only a game and i know none of us believe that but that boils my blood when I hear that, because people that say it is only football think that football is just about 22 people on a football pitch kicking a round object around, and it is so much more than that. 
I, I, I risk getting a little bit passionate here, to be honest with you, just because football in my life has played as big a part as anything. Uh, it's played as big a part of family. It's played as big as part as friends. Football in my life, and not not just Liverpool. Football all around. I, I love the game. All divisions, all you know, all countries. It, it just means so much to me. And when I hear people say it's just a game, oh, I, I cannot tell you how much I have to compose myself and and, and just reply in as a polite a manner as I can. But uh, yeah, it's um, it does annoy me that. But we'll uh, we'll, we'll move on. When you come into when you come to sporting integrity, um, you got to factor in as well. Spurs they've had their conference league game against Wren postponed, and I think it was thirty first of December where they had to play it by. Otherwise, they got taken by this disciplinary panel. Well, they aren't going to play that, so just knock them out because you can't give Spurs the win because otherwise, I think that knocks Vitesse out, and Wren Wren have already won the group. It. It, it's just from a Spurs point of view, it's a, it's a total mess, a complete and utter mess, and so it it's it it it's ridiculous. Um, I just think now you've had you've had half the games postponed for this weekend, and if you talk about sport and integrity, I think that the best thing is to postpone the entire weekend. If I'm honest, um, just. It, it's different than what it would have been in March 2020. I totally agree with you in terms of the echoes of it. But we're not talking three months. We're not talking um, uncertainty of whether the season will get completed. We're just saying have a break. Let clubs kind of regather their players. Um, you know, Understand it maybe a bit more. And in terms of the protocols, if they do need to be tightened further, something like that. Um, but yeah, as well for... For people general, like we we don't know, you know, cases are going up. We can't deny that. We don't know how easy it is to uh, get this new variant. Um, yes, people suggest that it maybe isn't as uh, harmful as other variants, but again, we don't have the information overall to to know that fully. So. I think a circuit breaker, which would probably include the Carabao Cup games, which is maybe a factor to put in, because that's what Thomas Frank wants, to postpone them as well. Uh, that would be maybe something to consider. And uh, also, to be honest with you, if the rest of the weekend got postponed, then my fancy team, I'd have a lot more peace with it because half my team were out already. So <laughs> please hurry up, guys. Well, <laughs> at least you've got your priorities in order. But <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, do you know what the, the circuit break thing is is interesting because I was reading about it this morning and uh, there was sort of scepticism from kind of experts of the impact it would have. Um, I think there was one of them that was saying essentially if you have a circuit breaker, it's just going to take off again, you know, when you resume. But I think maybe what might work is if you do that um, and then you resume at a period where maybe the variance under control or the growth has slowed. And if the transmission in the community is drastically reduced, then it follows that the footballers, um, with the testing uh, protocols they have in place, if they're less likely to catch it in the community and they've got COVID safe training environments, then maybe that is a more manageable situation. But then that throws up another issue. If you have a circuit break, if you've got international breaks in January and March, yeah. it's an extra one in January for- Yeah, it's um, South America and Asia. 
Yeah, so they yeah. can catch up on World Cup qualifiers. FA Cup replays are back this season, um, which personally really annoys me. And then you've got the Nations League uh, due to the Nations League. The Nations League due to start um, on the 4th of June, um, not long after the end of the club season. So combine that with all the European games. I mean, I'll throw this out to both of you. How do you actually, how do you fit the games in if you, uh, if there is a break? I was just going to say, you've been off every other thing. I just can't be asked seriously. It's just, there's just too much. It's it's like, this is a serious problem. Players' welfare is a serious, serious problem. I can't believe we're having a World Cup, not just in the middle of a season, but also in one of the hottest places going. Like, that is unsafe. And I know a lot of players, you know, you talk about Spain and all these, but... A lot of players, it takes your body maybe two weeks to climatise. So if 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 we can do it safely, then sure. But I think just there's just too much football. There's too many international breaks that, that initially break up things. But when you're in the middle of a pandemic, is it really safe to be travelling to all these places and then saying, OK, all of our players now come back to the Premier League. But wait off, you're probably going to have to wait because you're either going to be isolating, you're going to need PCR tests, you might have COVID, you might give it to everyone else. And now you're just back in the same thing again. I think you've got to take it one, you've got to look at the situation around you and you've got to take it one day at a time. And I think the fact that everyone's planning all these nation leagues and everything, it's, it's just, it's getting out of hand because you can actually see a world in which half of these things just aren't going to go. Like, they're, they're going to go up in flames. And someone or some team or some, you know, foundation of a league is going to get hit by it. And whether that's the Premier League and the quality that the, the quality goes down or whether it's because it plays behind closed doors, because, you know, or even players, players get injured because you're fitting a game every two days in again. I think we're obviously going to highlight it more because it's December fixtures. It is the most busy period out of the entire part of the league. So it was always going to be a bit of a problem with COVID. But with a new strain, it's obviously been even worse than what initially would have been thought. Um, And I think I seriously just think that other, like, you know, I think the entire sport and football body need to just come together and just make an educated decision and say we might you know be aiming for a bit too much here because not just that these players not going to get a rest but it's also the fact of someone gets COVID who knows the long-term effects of what COVID may have and and people have seen it. You know, Joshua Kimmich now turns around and says he wish he would have got the vaccine. Yeah. He's he's now outside line for weeks because it's had a long-term effect on him. And this can happen to many players, sadly. No matter how fit you are, no matter you, you being in shape, like Christian Eriksen, these things sadly can happen because you're human and these these things just happen. It, it, it's sadly luck of the draw. And I think a lot of people only care about money. They only care about the FA and, and it being televised and getting and, and things that benefit them when in actual fact there's there's a this is the most important part to all be solidified and come together and say, look, we need to have, you know, expectations that are reasonable. And 
maybe somewhere along the line we find other ways in years to come or maybe we just have to miss it you know the olympics had to be missed and got postponed a year like these these things there will be a space in the future where it can come in um i mean you play every two years in in the world cup or euros maybe one of them years before it maybe have another international tournament there instead but I think there's just too many unreasonable expectations for footballers. There's too many unreasonable expectations when you're literally in the middle of a pandemic. And it's not like we can just flick a switch and it be stopped tomorrow. Sadly, this is going to be part of our lives for maybe even years, if you think about it. Um, and I think we need to look at the biggest situation and the biggest problem. And maybe, you know, for five minutes, just think to ourselves, Okay, so football, it's vitally important that we keep it going for mental health reasons for other people, because like you said, the football might not seem a lot to everyone else. But for 90 minutes, when when that when that, you know, kickoff is done and when the whistle goes, there's nothing I care about more in the world than that football and that three points. And that's just how it is. It's part of your, your routine, your weekly routine. You look forward to it. It gets you out of your house. It gets you going to do something. It gets you socialising. And I think. You know, we need to keep it there for, for people of the public, but we also need to look after those who are actually on the pitch as well. Uh, honestly, I could not agree more. But, you know, you look at South America. Brazil have got no reason whatsoever to call up a single senior player when they've already qualified for the World Cup. So that that's that. I think Argentina are on the brink as well, so they've hardly got a reason. AFCON should not be going ahead considering that Omicron has literally come from Africa. So I, I think that is borderline insanity if that goes ahead. Um, I agree that it just does feel like that there's there's too much football. And because well, last year when every single game was on TV, you couldn't move for it. And I totally agree with what was said earlier. You almost felt, you felt forced to watch every single game when you didn't really want to watch every single game. And it did really take a, a mental drain doing so. Uh, I think I, I I spoke to um, I spoke to Tramir Rovers boss Mickey Mellon this week, and he said basically that the most important thing is health. And absolutely, the most important thing is health. Football is a secondary element to that. Despite you know, I know I said earlier about how much football's done for me, but that's with regards to people not respecting it. Football is secondary to health, and people understand that and as long as we just don't get the situation where it's behind closed doors again then it, it, it's best for everyone to have a bit of a break and put our heads together think about what the best way to go about it is and then i'm sure we'll come up with a solution that is safe for everyone and that is the main thing that we all have to take from this where you know ultimately if our health went badly or kind of went down the drain a bit then if I don't want to be morbid but we might we you know if our health goes badly then we couldn't enjoy football anymore sadly so make sure that everyone's health is in order and then move forward from there because that that has to be that's to be the main route and you know, footballers aren't immune from that you know we've seen perhaps unrelated but we've seen Aguero retire through breathing difficulties heart problems We've seen like Victor Lindelof as well. There's been a few players in, in European leagues, breathing difficulties. Kimmich, as Chloe mentioned, Kimmich's one of, my best, one of the best midfielders in the world for me. 
And because he's taken the decision to not take the vaccine, now saying that he, he wishes he had, he's out until 2022, which is which is incredible. Um, so yeah, just everyone. I think it, if if there's ever a time to just kind of take a break, take a breather, and think about the best solution, it's now. And uh, my fear would be, sadly, that um, because of capitalism, I suppose, in in the most basic terms, that the welfare of the players, the welfare of fans in terms of their kind of mental well-being um, will just become secondary to the uh, the profits and holding all those games, not being able to you know compromise on the schedule because of all these competing interests. Now, that's, that's my worry that we end up with a, um, we don't end up with the compromise that Chloe rightfully calls for, but we will. Have to end it there because we've I think we've set a record for for podcast length today. Um, Chris, thanks so much for uh, for coming on. Um, and deputising for Dan. Um, we'll have Dan back next week. But I think we can all agree Chris did a very able job in his stead. Um, and thanks to you as well, Chloe. So we will be back at some point next week. Um, who knows if Liverpool will indeed be playing uh, Leicester in the uh, in the Carabao Cup? We'll see, and we'll see if this weekend's game goes ahead as well. Um, But until then, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and take care.